change your family. You were called to change the world. You were called to change the laws that have been passed by Congress. You could break the chains of poverty in your neighborhood. You could break the chains of drug addiction, alcoholism, low self-esteem in your high school, in your junior high school, in your college, anger, abuse, all of it. All of it is not a waste of time. You will find moments where you feel inadequate and like you're not called to do this. But the truth is that the Bible is true, that you are more than a conqueror. And I know you're feeling some opposition right now, but no one ever said you won't feel opposition. The Bible just said that even though you feel the opposition, you'll be able to conquer it. You'll be able to overcome it. You'll be able to deal with it. So it is never a waste of time. But please know that when you live for God, hardships are going to come. Tough times without a doubt are going to come, but it's not make it a waste of time. I think about my family. I think about all the attacks that have happened. My home, my home, my home. The truth is the reason why they're threatening you, the reason why they're lying to you, the reason why they're spending their time on you is because they're scared of you. It's because they know who you are. They know why you were created. They know that you have a plan for your life. They know that you have a purpose for your life. They know that God's hand is on you. And when they look at you, they get fearful. They get nervous. They get scared. They get worried that if you catch a glimpse of everything it is that God has for you, then you're going to start to walk a little bit different. You're going to start to talk a little bit different. You're going to start to act in an authority. And if you get this thing inside of you, you are going to change the game forever. They can get you to believe that you are a nobody if you keep on listening to these stooges. Why would you ever listen to anybody else but God? Why would you ever listen to anybody else other than your creator and who your God is? They are scared of you. They are scared of you. You're the best. There's nothing else to preach today. And if we could get this inside of us, isn't that awesome? I know that's just, I listened to that thing like 10 times. It pumped me up. I already posted it on social media so you guys can pump yourself up all the time with that thing of remembering who we are. Remembering who we are. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. Happy New Decade. And welcome to I Declare War series. Super pumped about this, super excited about this. This is a, this series actually comes from a great pastor and author uh, named Levi Lusco. You might have heard him preach on the radio, a little snippets of the clip. Uh, great preacher. He wrote this book called I Declare War. And then, and I just came across this, and again, this resonated in our church life and, and where we're at. And, and I just feel like we, we need this. We need this, this idea of we are at war. Some of you going, what do you mean I declare war? Who am I declaring war on? That's so aggressive. That's so like hostile. That's so forceful. Like, what 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 is what is the, about this I declare war that kind of been saying this as we've been building up for this? The, the reason why we are declaring war is because you are in a war, whether you acknowledge it or not. There is a war going on. When you open up your Bible and you read it, you are given this very clear message that the world is not a playground. That the world that we live in is in fact a battleground. 
that we are called to live in, especially as we come to have Christ be our Lord and our Savior, that He equips us for this. And this is the heart of this. But yes, we are declaring war, and I want to help point us to Scripture by the help of the Holy Spirit to, to first help us understand the war that we are in, the battle that we are in, what you're declaring against, and then also equip you with the tools and strategies in order to be a conqueror in this war, to win this battle. See, over over Christmas break, like many of you guys, you're going to this total veg out time, you're eating chips and dip and, and eating all kind of terrible stuff, and maybe like our friend, we play a bit of cards over the holiday time, right? And when you play, I played some cards even with some people at church, right? So, and, and so when you, when you play cards, there's different card games that have different strategies, and there's some card games that's total just, there's no strategy to it at all. Like my youngest son, I play war with him. Anybody played war? Where you just simply get cut the deck in half and flip the cards. No strategy at all. I don't know what card's coming. I don't know what's happening. And then you get the two cards of the same, and you go, I declare war. And how do you win the war? You flip over more cards. No strategy at all. No, no, you're just kind of like playing in the dark. You don't know who's going to win. Nothing you can do. Now, you step it up. You play hearts. You play spades. You play euchre. You play 500. And now you've got these things called trump, right? And you've got a little strategy. You can see your cards. You can count cards. You can kind of see what's going on. And so you, you've got this. And when, when, when you got that going on, that changes the game so much different than just randomly pulling out stuff. And I'm here to tell you that God has got a handful, a fistful of trump cards that he wants to give you in life. He's got, he wants to stack your hand with trump cards. But the thing is, if you don't know how to play the game and you don't know what the purpose of trump is, you'll just sit there and hold those and still not win because you don't know how to play the trump cards and you don't know the game that you are in and you don't know the game you're playing. All right. So what is the game? What is the game? What is the battle? What is the war? As you open scripture, we see plainly and clearly that the the scripture tells us that there are, you know, three sources of conflict for those of us that are called Christians, those that are believers, those that have come to put their trust and their faith in Jesus. First one is just so you know, this church, we believe that there is a devil. He is the devil and he is bad, right? And the Bible presents us that we have this adversary, this guy that is against us, the devil who attacks us. And he's got a backup team. He rolls kind of deep. You know, it's, the Bible tells us that one third of the angels up in heaven fell with him. So he's got, he's, he's, got, he's got a posse, he's got a crew that comes with him. And he's on attack against the people of God. And those are those demons that fell with him. So that's, our, that's, our, that's one of our opponents. That's our spiritual dimension of this, this war that we face. And so that, that's kind of happening there. But I also remember that only one third, two thirds of the angels are still with God. Right? So our team, like we said earlier, we're still surrounded by a greater army. And he just uses fear and intimidation to try to, to kind of scare us away. The second one is this, this, this thing that we call the, the world. I know that's kind of weird of like this conflict with the world. It's not like, not like what you see on Discovery Channel or National Geographic, like not that world, but like what the Bible particularly says, says as the world. The world is this is this worldview, this secular view of like that is in conflict with the way of God. 
See, again, we open the scriptures and we see this picture of this God who created it all, who's over it all, who has divine authority over it all. And so my response to that, when I come to acknowledge that there is a one true God and that I am not him, my response is to kneel, to bow, and to say, you are God, I am not, your ways are higher than my ways. But the very definition of sin is that we think that we are better and we know more than God and we choose our way over the creator of the universe's way. And this plays out in this thing called the, the world. And that's how sin entered in. That's how, that's how Satan actually, that's how Lucifer, who was, was in heaven, that's how he ended up becoming the Satan, Satan, um, is because he wanted to put himself above God. He thought that he was as important as God, as, as he could lift himself up. And in that world, since this, this hostile view that is against the gospel, against bowing our knee to Jesus, is that same heart, that same thing of refusing to acknowledge him as God and choosing our ways over his ways. And this plays out in our, in our world all the time and it brings all kind of complexity into your lives. And especially when, I mean, especially when you, those first years of becoming a new Christian, maybe some of you guys are there, maybe you're still, still wrestling through this is like, you have this way that you one time lived and, and now it is different. Now it is changing and it's brought all this complexity and, you know, when, when you were, when you used to just, you used to just do what you wanted to do. Your old self is the Bible calls it. Your old self, that old way of thinking, you know, you, you just did what you wanted to. And so even the, the people, the team, the crew that you hung out with, now they see you and man, even they, they, they can kind of even accuse you of like, oh, you think you're better than us now, huh? Oh, you think you, you know all the answers. You're too good to hang out with us. And oh, you're one of those holy rollers now, right? You know, you get kind of this kickback from people that were once, you know, and the fact is, no, you're like, I'm not a holy roller. In fact, I know how messed up I am. I know how sinful I am. Christians are some of the most messed up people in the world. We just know that we are. We've just admitted that we need help and that we need a savior. So if you're wondering and you walk into church and go a bunch of holy rollers, no, actually it's some of the worst of the worst. We just hit the bottom and said, we've got nowhere to look but up, right? So, so you've got this conflict and this difficulty happening here and, 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 and you, you come to make Jesus your savior, and you've got this, this attack from the world and attack even from maybe old friends and family. And, and then you got Satan attacking you. And, you know, I mean, and because is that video that we saw is because you have, an, you have a purpose, you have a vision, you have a mission. So, of course, the enemy is going to get aggressive on you. Why else do you think they guard LeBron so much in the game, right? Because he is a threat. And you are a threat to the enemy when you realize who you are. So, of course, you're going to get guarded more. All right. So those are two that, you know, we kind of talk about a bit. The one that we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about, that was just to set up other things. That's just a setup for another message another day. The ones we're going to talk about these next few weeks of this declaring war is our, this area that the Bible theologically calls our fleshly nature, our flesh, ourselves. It's that you inside of you. It's those thoughts that nobody knows but you. It's that, that old nature. As I said, when we come to Christ, there's this, the Bible talks about like this old man. Now you become a new creation. You were once this other person. You were, you were an old man. Now you're a new man. You were an old woman. Now you're a new woman. There was the old you. There is a new you that this, given this, that Christ comes in and gives us new birth, this new life. And now, 
you are in this place of you can hear the voice of God, you can hear the Holy Spirit, and you're responding to Him of what He's telling you to do, and how you should act, and how you should respond, and, and that's the conflict. That's the difficulty. That's the rub. That is, for most of us, the most difficult part is stopping to think like the old person and thinking as though you are in Christ and thinking with a new mindset. Because all this blowback comes to ourselves of like, we keep on tripping up and falling back and forth. And the Christian life is about learning to live in the spirit and not in the flesh. To live as this new person that God has called you and equipped you and given you the trump cards to be. And it is a continual, I, this, is the, this is the challenging thing, is it's going to continue to be a walk and continue to be a journey until you get to heaven. Of continuously killing that old flesh, that old self. And so, yes, we believe there's a devil. Just preached about it in December. All right? We, we just preached about that. We believe that there's a worldview that comes against us, attacks us, and that brings blow to your life. But for most of us, our worst enemy, the one that has the most attack on us, is ourselves. Because we are masters of self-sabotage. We are masters of self-sabotage. How many of you have ever heard of the street artist named Banksy? He's got some, some images up here of some, some artists that you might have seen, especially in London and New York. He's done some things and he does some things to kind of, to push the envelope, uh, causing to, he thinks outside the box and, and does some things out there and the law has been trying to find him for a few years because of the things he does. Very creative, very, very different in what his art expression. But back in, uh, the fall of 2018, he, uh, his, his, one of his artworks went up for auction in London, and it was this, this artwork of Girl Holding Balloon, it's called. And so here it is, and it's in this beautiful gold ornate frame hanging on the wall there, being auctioned off as people are sitting there at the auction place, sipping on their wine, eating all kind of hors d'oeuvres and stuff like this. And, and it just keeps going up, and it actually goes for one point. Four million dollars, gavel falls and says sold. And check out what happens the moment that girl with balloon goes on auction and is sold. Okay, it's the Frank scene. Girl with balloon, ladies and gentlemen, standing in the back of the room. I'm going to start bidding in 100, 150, 200,000. I have already 200,000, 300,000, 350,000, 400,000, 400,000, 600,000, 600,000, 600,000. Last chance. And selling for 
and like taking, I don't know where they're going with it. What, I don't know what, what else is going to happen to it, you know? But the thing is, there's security guards at the auction. Why? To pertain, protect the painting from people that would possibly steal it. But nobody saw that the painting needed protecting from itself. That it had inside of it a self-sabotaging mechanism to destroy itself. And we, like that painting, each one of us has that built inside of us. You brought it here with you today. The self-sabotaging way of, of preventing who God has called you to be. You become your own worst enemy. Because, like many of you, I have been around church quite a bit. I have read the scriptures quite a bit. I know what I am supposed to do. I know how I am supposed to respond. I know how I'm supposed to act. But man, I resonate so much with what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, where he says like he has this conflict of this old man and this new man. And I know the things that I ought to do. All those things that I wrote down on my New Year's resolution list. These are the things I ought to do. I ought to do. I ought to do. And I'm not going to do this anymore in the new year. And what happens? It's so often we do the reverse. We do the things we do not want to do and don't do the things that we know we should do. And it's this continual challenge inside of us. Even if we fight them down, we've got the shredder inside each one of us. We brought it with us. So, I don't know what your war is. I don't know what it is that you go into this new year if you're like, I want to change this. And we could talk about anger, we could talk about distrust, we could talk about sadness, loneliness, worry, anxiety, depression. We could talk about just an inactivity to to not do what you're supposed to do. You know, we can talk about how it plays out in all kind of forms and activities in our lives, how we play this out and the things that we go to and lean to, For we go to numb it. When we feel like we're not measuring up to who God's called us to do, we, we lean into overeating. We lean into self-medication, whether it be through prescriptions or by the other things that became legal this last week here in our wonderful state of Illinois, right? We have all kind of ways of, of, of finding ways to escape by shopping online, by over-purchasing, by binging on whatever streaming thing is your favorite thing nowadays, by getting validation. It's like, I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling sad, I need to post something on social media and get some likes and, oh, that feels good, I'm loved, somebody likes me, I'm okay, I'm not alone. And, and, and all these things that we look for instead of doing that deeper work because there is a war inside of us. There's a war. And yes, this is spiritual. And yes, this is practical to help you be who you know that you are called to be. Because we have a tendency of not taking care of ourselves. Even some of you that are most generous and most giving and most caring of others, you care for others, but you have a hard time caring for yourself. You remember from Parks and Rec, Donna coined the phrase, treat yourself. You got to treat yourself, right? And you've seen that on social media. You got to go treat yourself and take care of yourself, right? And, but we have a tendency of treating ourselves poorly, of treating ourselves badly. So look at this, this, uh, Levi Lusco, um, shared this about a, a report made by the medical industry of the rate of success when people are given prescriptions and the way that they process those prescriptions and utilize those prescriptions afterwards. 
Okay, so the study showed that like if a hundred people go to the doctor for whatever their ailment might be, and the doctor hands them prescription, only one third of that hundred people will never get that prescription filled. They'll leave, they'll forget about it, they'll get busy on something else, they'll think it's not necessary, maybe they don't like prescription drugs, whatever. One third will never get it filled. All right, so then you've got, let's say, 67 people out of that hundred that did get it filled. Only half of those, around 34 people, will, another third, another half of those, will not follow the instructions on the prescription or complete it. They will take it at the wrong intervals. How many of you guys have a half-filled prescription bottle in your medicine cabinet? Right? Because you started it. Y'all started this process. I started feeling better. Don't need that anymore. Right? And we just stop it. And it even said that even people that had, had, that this was the most shocking part of the study, is that even people, astonishingly, that, that had medication to fight off organ transplant rejection. Okay, they had been on the waiting list for an organ transplant. After the organ transplant, they're told to take these medications. After all this life-threatening thing, the thing of great sacrifice that it cost someone else's, in some cases, someone else had to die for you to get that body part, and they don't finish their prescription. Crazy. There is one category where the highest percentage of people do follow the instructions of the prescription that they get. Pain. Any other guesses? Sexual? (laughs) No. The one that is completed the most is when the prescription comes from the vet for your pet. (laughs) That if your dog or your cat needs a prescription, they are on top of it, of getting it into them and complete the process. What does that say about us that we care more about getting the right prescriptions into our pets than we care for ourselves? Wow, we've got some challenges, right? So that's why I say it is time to declare war on those things that are within us. Does anyone with me? Does anyone think it's time to face some war and let's change our stinking thinking and change the way that we view things? All right, that was just my introduction. I know some of you are here, new time, first time, like, does this this church even read the Bible? Um, You know, and we will get there. I just had to set this foundation for you guys of like, this is where we're at. This is where we're going over this. And yes, we read it. (laughs) But, and you're asking, what are the three doors up there about? Over these next two weeks, we're going to talk about these. I feel like some of us are locked inside of ourselves. And I wanted to just talk about three doors that I, you have the key to. You can open a door, and, and, but you, and some of you are going to have to kick it down. And some of you guys just got to walk through that door to get outside of, of stop self-sabotaging yourself. And today, I want to talk about this idea of your thoughts. Let's start with what happens up here in our mind. Scripture tells us this in Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think, so you are. You are what you think. Now, I'm not saying that every single problem that you came in here with, every single problem that you're facing, is a problem that can be solved by mind over matter. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that what happens in your mind really does matter. 
What happens up here does matter. Where you leave, let your thoughts go does matter. If I could break this entire sentence down to one line right here, it says, you can change the way you feel by changing the way you think. You can change the way you feel by changing the way you think. See, the way we, 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 we get inactive, we don't do those things that we know that we are supposed to do because we base so much on how we feel, and we feel that way because of how we think. Listen, there's a difference between, between thinking and thinking about. You can't control every thought that's going to pop into your head. There's going to be all kind of random Doubts, questions, does this person like me? All kind of thoughts that the enemy will throw at you, yourself will throw at you, society will throw at you, but you don't have to think, you're not obligated to think about every thought that comes your way. Because then that will cause you to feel every single thing. Every time you feel something, you don't have to focus on it. I know that's kind of hard for you. You, you, you don't have to. But, because you, you don't have, but every, but you will feel everything you think about. You will feel everything that you sit there and you give a lot of concentration to and a lot of thought to. Now, I know that sounds a little confusing, but stick with me. Here he goes. The truth is that we can change how we feel by changing what we think about. And I know this sounds like a lot of self-help stuff and all this, but listen, there are many Bible verses that talk about the stuff that happens in our mind. And I want to give you some trump cards to play when it comes with fighting the battle in your mind. Here's three coming at you. Colossians 3 says this up on the screen. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. What does it say? Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Somebody say, set your mind. We're going to set our mind on things above. We find the same thing in Romans 12, where it uses this, this idea of the world that we talked about earlier. It says, and do not be transformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to know what God wants for you? You want to know what his will is for your life? Set your mind, be transformed, renew your mind. Open the scripture, listen to some scripture, sing some worship songs, set your mind on things above. If you want to live right, if you want to have that right perspective, you got to start thinking right. You cannot have a positive life if you're always thinking negative. A negative thought cannot lead to a positive life. Being bombarded with negative thoughts all the time, seeing the negative in every situation and just saying, oh, I just have a critical eye. No, you're just negative, all right? It's not going to lead to a positive life. And Jesus asked Jesus, hey, what's, what's, what's the most important thing that we could do? That's a good question you ask Jesus. Like, what, what, Jesus, all these laws, what do we do? And he says it, very well-known verse in Matthew. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Somebody help me out. All of your soul and all. All of your mind. Do you know that we can we can love the Lord with our mind, with where we're setting our mind, how we're controlling what is coming in and out of our mind? And God has given you a mind for a person, by purpose. He has given you an imagination. He has given you these thoughts and he's given you these feelings. But because, and he knows that he wants us to devote it to him, to 
Point it towards him because he knows that oftentimes our thinking devolves into our own negativity. Our own thinking leads us to that own negativity. I mean, I don't think many of you get up in the morning, brush your teeth, comb your hair if you got it, and you look in the mirror and you go, I'm going to have a bad day today. I'm going to go out and I'm just going to be negative. I'm going to be rude. I'm going to be grumpy to everyone that I come in contact with. But so often we let our stinking thinking lead us into this life that is selfish and filled with worry, worry and narcissism and thoughts that can lead to, that just end up ruining the entire day. So this is the thought. This is where we're going. That a, the reward for negativity, the reward for, for chasing after negativity, looking for negativity, the reward for that is more negativity. If you, if you're, if that's what you're going to, the reward is you will find what you are looking for. What you look for, you will find. Because this is somehow the way that God had made us of, we, we, of where we focus, of where we put our attention, we will see it. Wherever you're searching for, you will see this. Is that you are in charge of where you set your mind. You have the ability to decide where you're going to place it. A Stanford professor Arnold Zigwicky, that's a fun name to say, um, put it this way, and he called it the frequency illusion. It says, once you notice a phenomenon, you think it happens a whole lot or even all the time. The frequency illusion. You think it happens all the time. Or at least a whole lot, and then, and it's connected with the, the these two other things that we that he argues with of like this this one is the selective attention and the other is confirmation bias. Okay, and so you've got this 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 frequency illusion, and you know it sounds more complex than it is, but every single one of you have experienced it. You probably experienced it the last time you bought a car. All right. We just bought a, a Honda Odyssey this last year, all right? So what are we doing? We're going on Kelly Blue Book Value. We're looking on Trader, Car Trader, looking on Craigslist at all these minivans, you know, and looking at all the different styles that they have. And then guess what happens? You get into your current vehicle. You're driving down the road. And what do you see? Everywhere. I think everybody in the Tri-Cities drives a Honda Odyssey minivan. And the fact is, is there more Honda Odyssey minivans on the road today than there were years ago, a year ago, or six months ago? Maybe, probably. <laughs> but in most cases, not too many more. But I have fixed my attention on that. I have focused on that, and now I'm starting to see them. And I can even notice the different trim models as I'm driving past, you know, of all the pieces that go with it. Because you, you, you've fixed your mind on it. And then so what it does, it, this, this confirmation bias, is that now that you've purchased the car and you're driving the car and you see the car, and you're going, look, there's another one. That's a nice looking car. Driving, oh, there's, no, man, look how many there are. I made a good choice. This was a good, and you get an attaboy in your head. That's right. That's right. You made a good choice. Look at that one. Oh, yeah. Look, I'm, I'm like everyone else. And, and you just get this. It's a confirmation, right? And so first you have this. You, you've seen it. Now you've select, selective, <clears throat> a selective attention, and now you've confirmed it. Now, think of that when you think about negativity. If you're looking for negativity, and you see it, you're going, huh, I told you. I told you it was going to be like that. 
Told you that was going to happen. If you're, if you're in school and upperclassmen tell you about the teacher that you have next semester, oh, Mrs. So-and-so, she is the hardest math teacher in the entire school. She is so strict. She gives so much homework. And you go into that classroom, and all she says is, quiet class, just like every other teacher says, and now she's the most strict teacher because you've just confirmed what you've been told. And you've confirmed what you've been focused on, that she's the most strict teacher. Or in even in other areas of her life of like, but those people, the last time I was with them, they didn't even pay attention to what I spoke up. They, they didn't laugh at my joke or they, they ignored me when I said something. And oh, those people didn't invite me to this get together and I wasn't invited to that one. And oh, there they go again. They didn't invite me to this. And, and so we're looking for that because it confirms what we've already been thinking. We go to small group and go, I knew that guy was going to destroy the conversation again and mislead it. You know, oh, church drama. There's drama going on all the time in church and all this stuff because you're, you know, like there's drama everywhere. No, you're looking for the drama. And so you get that attaboy. You get that confirmation when you see it because you're looking for negativity. You're looking for that thing to confirm that you were right. Is anybody understanding and following what I'm saying? In your marriage, right? You're focusing on what your spouse cannot do right all the time. And so anytime they even come close to not doing the right thing, you're like, ah, there you go again. Right? And we got to change that with the more you look for the negative, the more you will see it. You focus on those small things and that you will just confirm all the time. And you've got this, this, you've got this subconscious inside you just confirming it and saying, oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. You go that, you know what? It's just the story of my life. Just negative stuff all around. No, it's not the story of life. It's the story you're choosing to write for your life. So, that's the bad news. The good news is, is that just like the Force in Star Wars, it can be used for good, or it can be used for evil. And it's your choice of what you want to do with it, right? It can be used for good or for evil. That you can use that subconscious to start looking for something different. That you can set your mind on something different. And and so here's one of your trump cards that you play when you start seeing that negativity coming up in your heart, in your head, in your mind. You you throw this trump down right here. Philippians 4, 8 says this. It says, so keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful, respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God praising him always. Amen? You start training your mind to look for signs of good. You start training your thoughts to go, there is something. You start training your mind to look for beauty. You start, you stop looking at the worst examples of humanity and you start finding some good examples of humanity. You look for the best. You look for what is praiseworthy. You look for what is good. You look for what is a good report. And all of a sudden, your subconscious, man, it starts going, all that negative cycle stuff, that starts like going away. And and you're no longer that just falling into gossip and about the drama and about the negative. Negativity. You start having this whole different way, this different version of seeing the world. You're not this snarky, mean, critical person anymore. You start finding the good in people. You start finding the good in situations. You start finding the beauty, and you're like, oh man, there it is. Look, God's working in their life. And look, God's doing this over there. And look what God's happening here. Do you guys know that you're around those people that's like, they see God in everything? Yes! 
They see God in everything. And you need to take some cues from them of like, hey, look at what God is doing. And don't just always focus on everything the enemy is doing. Let's stop giving him so much credit. And let's set our mind on things good, right? There's someone. There's someone there. Demon. Yes. Man, they were not, that, that person was nice. That person was charitable. That person was generous. And you, 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 start, you start seeing that. And you, go, and you start reflecting it. And you want that in your life. And all of a sudden you're going, man, wow, my life, my life's pretty good. I got some pretty good stuff going on in my life. And that's the story you start telling when you set your mind on him and what he has done. And I'm not talking about positive thinking. Listen to me. I'm not talking about positive thinking as a replacement of God. I'm talking about positive thinking as a response to God. A response to what he has done. I got to be positive. He paid for all of my sins. He called me righteous. He's made me right. He's given me this new mind. He's making me a new creation. So my response is going to be positive. I don't have to live like that old negative man anymore. Come on, that is good, right? When we start thinking positive. See, because you can't. You cannot worship and worry at the same time. You can't. How many of you guys were really worshiping this morning? This is how I fight my battles, and you're really thinking about your battle that it's just going to be destroyed? No, you can't. You gotta, once your mind is focused there, you cannot worship and worry at the same time. And this goes back to what Paul is saying in that Romans 7, where he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep on falling into doing. And the way you do that is you don't just go, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to think about pink elephants. I'm not going to think about pink elephants. And if I say I'm not going to think about pink elephants, how many of you guys are thinking about pink elephants right now? Because I told you not to think about pink elephants, right? And so, the, the, the idea is not to not think about pink elephants. The, the idea is to think about something else, to set your mind on something else. Is there going to be challenges? Is there going to be moments that you feel negative? Is there going to be moments that you feel like, oh my gosh, there's just so much challenge. But when I start setting my mind on something else, when I start doing the good things that he's called me to do, when I start acting it out, when I start worshiping, I don't have time and I don't have space in my head to do those things I do not want to do. Right? We don't have time for that, but it doesn't fit in there anymore. When I, I won't do those things I want, I, I, I don't want to do while I'm busy doing the things that God has called me to do. Some of you guys that keep on falling into that same habitual sin, keep on falling into that same thing, you start being active in that time that you know that you're tempted the most to fall into that, and you start doing something else, and that, that loses its power. You can't, you can't fall into that temptation if you're busy intentionally doing good. You can change the way you feel if you change the way you think. You change the way you think by setting your mind on things above. And I know this comes like, man, this is awesome in the sermon. And I feel ready to go, but you're going to get out there and you're going to go, that was really good. I wish I heard that when I was 13 before I became this negative person. And I just see the negative all the time. And I, that's really good for my kid. I hope my kid listened. But man, this is just an attribute of me. This is where I am on the Enneagram scale. You know, this is all this kind of stuff. And like you, you can make these, these, these excuses because you feel like the destructive negativity cycle and the wrongful thinking is already so ingrained into you that you cannot break away from it. And you're going, man, I've already pressed the button on the self-sabotaging shredder. I've already pressed it. It's, it's, it's already shredded. It's already in pieces. Well, what's fascinating about the artwork of Girl with Balloon 
that was shredded. You can put it back up there. And is that <laughs> when you read on in the news about this, is that the experts are saying that it is now worth more than $1.4 billion, $1.4 million because of how the whole thing was schemed and planned and how he videotaped it privately and then put it up on YouTube and Instagram and that, no, now the, the, the actual art of this whole entire project is not just this final product, but it's the whole entire scheme of the event and how it all came together. So now it has even more value as a shredded piece of art, right? It, it has more value. I would say the same thing about you. Nice. That you are so much more valuable than $1.4 million. Woo. That your value has gone up. That you are this piece of artwork that possibly, you, we, are, we are called the, <laughs> he calls us our artwork. We are his craftsmanship. We are his, in his hands. And guess what? God knew you, that you were going to be torn and tattered, and he knew that you were going to have pieces that were ripped apart and things that were broken, and he never expected you to be picture perfect. He never was banking on you to be picture perfect and to have it all together for him to love you, to call you his son and daughter. He was banking on himself to be perfect. See, all right? He was banking on that, and he says, I'm going to pay the highest price. I'm going to pay the highest price for you even though you've been torn, even though you've had this wrongful mind of thinking, this wrong way, I am going to send my son to the cross to be torn and go through the shredder for you that your sins might be forgiven. That he comes and he finds us and he takes something that the world would say is torn up, ripped up, a piece of garbage, and he says, no, the whole thing is beautiful because I'm doing, it's not just this, this ripped up piece of artwork, it's the whole story. It's the story of redeeming us and changing our lives and calling us of who he's called us to be. How many of you guys need that today, right? How many of you guys need this new perspective? Would you guys stand with me as we pray? I want to just pray over you guys this morning. How many of you guys know that you have some thoughts? Some, the, the, your battle is in this mind, in your head. The battle is in your head, right? And I know that this could sound like very just change your thinking, but it is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Christ says that he leads us to repentance and he comes and makes us a new person. And we try, and I don't want anyone walking away from here going, I got to go try, I got to go do this, I got to go change my thinking, I got to go whenever I do this. No, it's not about do, it's about coming to see that he is making you a new creation. That you're relying on him and what he has done. Every, he's called you to a life of godliness. And he has called you to it, and he has equipped you to do it. He has given you every power, every authority, and he wants to fill your hands with trump cards that whenever, <laughs> you know, the enemy comes, and you just slap him down. You, he comes around peeking up in your mind, in your head, and you just throw, nope, I'm setting my mind on things above. Oh, there comes another negative thought. There comes another drama. There comes another temptation. Nope, I've got, I've got my trump cards. That's why the new year, pick up this Bible, set a goal of just... 
If, if you're brand new to reading it, start with a chapter a day. Setting your mind on things above it changes your perspective. It helps you to get to the day of setting your mind on things. This is the written word of God, and we are so privileged to be able to have it in our hands, on our phones, everywhere. If you have a hard time finding the time, listen to it on your way to work. You know, we have technology. Let's utilize that technology and setting our mind and our hearts on things above. I promise you it might be difficult at first, but it will bring about change in your life. So you guys just lift your hands if you feel comfortable, like just receiving. God, we know, Lord Jesus, that so many here today struggle with the thoughts in their mind with where their mind has wandered, God, and where their, their negativity and the things that they always want to focus on. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would give them the power, the ability, Lord, to set their hearts and their minds on things above. Lord, that it wouldn't just be scripture that we read, Lord, but it would actually be something that is an action and play in our lives. Lord, that you would reveal that and remind them, Lord, that when they even feel their mind going to a dark place, that that scripture comes back of whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is righteous, whatever is holy, that they just do that quick shift, God, in changing their, their perspective and looking at other things. God, this is not possible in our own power, in our own strength. It is simply possible because of who you are and how you have equipped us. Lord, I ask that as you continue to work through us, Lord, that we would see that we are in the battlefield, Lord. We are in a battle against the enemy, against the world perspective, Lord. But Lord, we're in a battle against ourselves, Lord, and against that old man. And Lord, I just want to pray for anyone in this room, Lord, that they still have a greater identity with that old self. And they haven't come into that dependence upon you, and they haven't come and asked you to come make them new with new birth because of what Christ has done. Lord, I ask that you would draw them in, and they don't walk away from here feeling that they have to go do something, but Lord, that you come and you do the work in them. And they're now empowered to go walk it out. So Lord, we thank you, God, for this new year. Thank you for a new page, for a new decade, for a new time to rewrite the past, Lord. And Lord, no matter how tattered and ripped up and torn our artwork might be, our lives might be, Lord, we ask that you would make something beautiful out of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. Awesome. Are you guys... And I know that this is going to take practice and getting in, and you might need some people to stand with you. And this is what we're talking about this new year. Don't do it alone. The prayer team is going to be down here to pray with you. If you just need to have, man, if you just need to even confess it and say, ah, oh, this is where my thoughts go. This is where my mind goes. This is where I need someone to stand with me. That we're going to do this. Next week, we're going to talk about the words we speak. Invite friends, invite family that need to hear this life-giving message that we get to, man, walk this out. So you guys have a wonderful, blessed first new week for a lot of you going back to school and work and all that stuff. Love you guys, and we'll see you around soon. Amen.